you're listening to the Match Mary Mate Show, where Black women learn how to get their love lives together. Here I guide you on your dating and relationship journey, empower you with feminine presence, power, and charm, teach you how to navigate and negotiate your needs and desires with men. I'm your host, your girl, Joyce Robinson Myers, and welcome to another episode, lovebugs. Remember, this season is titled Experiences, and we're journeying through various events on a dating, relationship, and marriage trajectory. This season, we're tapping into our solar plexus, which invites us to set intentions in the power of I do. And I've designed season three to help you unlock your personal power and build a stronger sense of self with seven select stories I've curated for you. This is our fifth story. And our last story, episode 18, Her Relationship Gems, we covered emotional regulation, masculine and feminine pairing, and righteous rejection. But we're going to delve deeper into these topics beyond transformation and into healing today. You're listening to episode 19 of our regular season titled Her Healing Journey. I want you to have access to today's interview questions and some of my guests' worthy words. So I designed an episode guide for you. Be sure to download it. Stay tuned at the end of the show for more details about the next episode coming. First, let's begin with the power of affirmation. We start every episode with an affirmation as a way to center self, listen to the body, and honor our spirit. Ask yourself, how are you today? What moods, feelings, or emotions come up? Use that energy to speak life, wholeness, and healing over yourself using the power of your own voice. Speak it into existence with an I or I do. I do make choices that align with my values and principles. I do let go of fear and embrace the unknown with courage. I do attract meaningful and fulfilling relationships in my life. Hey, lovebugs. Are you ready for today's show? I am with the one and only Miss Lori today, and we're having a sweet and tender chat about healing and growth, healing and growth with self, family, and in dating. I honestly cannot say enough awesome things about her. She's the total package, y'all, and you'll hear exactly what I mean as she shares her story and her heart with us. Lori tells us about growing up in a Kenyan household, the difference in dating and gender norms between Kenya and America, her eventual but painful realization that she was the pump and dump girl, discovering her femininity and repairing her mother wound. Towards the end of the show, we both get a little choked up. Now her more than I, because it's her own story, her voice quiets and sobers, 
And I chose not to ask her to repeat herself with such high emotions. So put your extra listening ears on when we're in the sacred sister round so you can hear her. I hope you enjoy the show. I am earning my PhD in this work to be in the best position to support my community. Also, studies show that with proper relationship education, we can produce smarter, safer, and happier romantic decisions that improves the quality of our relationships and families as we match, marry, and mate. Because why y'all? Black love matters, and we're in much need of some Black family restoration. I have the lovely Lori with me today. Lori is a Match Mary Mate alum, cohort seven. <laughs> On cue as always, cohort seven graduated December 2022. And at the end of every cohort, I offer the option to continue with me via group coaching or individual coaching. And Lori chose group coaching and she's been with me ever since. So Lori, do you want to tell the audience how you learned about me? Oh, yeah. Um, it was through a mutual friend. Well, a client of yours and a friend of mine. Um, we developed our friendship in school and still kept a beat with each other. So she graduated two years prior to me, but I saw her as um, uh, kind of big sis role model, if you will. Um, and I saw her relationship journey with you and admired it and reached out to her, asked her, you know, what do you recommend? And she spoke highly of you. I listened to you in clubhouse and your spirit resonated with me. Um, how you talked to her resonated with me, her energy. I could feel her energy because I, I know her from school. I could feel her energy and how authentic she was as far as herself with you. And I was sold. <laughs> oh, wow. I've, I've never considered that before, that someone who knows someone listening in will be able to determine the real test of authenticity. Dang, Lori. Okay, dropping bars before we even get started. <laughs> wow, that gives me something to monitor. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Tell us why you decided to join Match Mary Mate. What attracted you to the program? Not just, you know, yours truly in all her glory. <laughs> <laughs> um, I signed up for Match Mary Mate out of frustration mm -hmm. with myself um which had in turn turned into a desire to learn more about myself and how I showed up um so really after four years ish of realizing that men didn't just come up to me um granted I wasn't in an academic space anymore where you intermingle with people as naturally um, I begrudgingly opened up to online dating, but bro, that wasn't working for me either. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I asked a close friend of mine um, to give me feedback on why could I just not? Because I'm cute. I'm cute. You cute, I, I, girl. I, I know I'm cute. But <laughs> <laughs> why I asked her for feedback for why she might have felt that I wasn't attracting men. And she had told me that I come off dominant and express some more masculine than feminine energy. And I'm not going to lie, that comment surprised me. It set me on a self-discovery journey and then ultimately to match Mary Meet. Um, <laughs> so I joined the course, I joined the course, sorry, with a desire to learn how I could be feminine and open to inviting men while still being true to myself. That response surprises me because you are so soft to me. You're so like mild-mannered, very cutesy, very ladylike. So hearing what there's a there's a dominant masculine version of Lori. Where is she? <laughs> that surprises me. I always just see you like a little Kenyan flower. I think you know it's it's the African side, right? The Kenyan side where um When you consider how your the girl child is raised in Africa, um, if you look at present day girl child, there's and I think that also relates to American girl child as well. But there is a huge drive to go to school. And when you go to school, the typical African thing, you're either going to become a doctor, an engineer or um, a lawyer. Yes, it has to be <laughs> one of those. Right. Um, <laughs> and sure enough. I became a doctor. So it's it it fell into that category. But to do that, there was that focus, that determination that you do not veer from course. And you have that family behind you that is driving that. And so you have that instilled discipline that can then come off as because of that discipline, you also have that structure and that, no, this is how this works. And with that, it can kind of come off on the dominant side when I'm interacting with people, even though I still have that very, if if my my feminine side is given the chance, it's very soft and it's very laid back. <laughs> <laughs> and see, I don't experience you that way. So that's why I don't have that view. But now that you've connected, I said Kenyan flower and walked right into African child rearing. <laughs> And didn't even make the connection until you said it. But touche, now that you've said that, oh, absolutely. I'm very familiar with what African child rearing looks like and definitely the girl child. And there are some, you know, I, I think that diaspora and Africans are different from continental Africans, but there still is a lot of similarity. Mm -hmm. I could definitely tell you that American Black female children grow up with the level of ambition a level of independence, get it done. And you're right, those things that you mentioned, structure, order, stick to itness, um, the career focus, we tend to see those things as very masculine. So if your friend was seeing you in that energy, I understand the comment now. It's just not how I experienced you. So I was a little floored, but I understand now. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of being a non-American or being African, Kenyan specifically, don't you like when people say the country? 
I don't like people just say Africa. Like, unless we're talking about the entire continent. I'm like, which country, my guy? <laughs> when I tell you that is a pet peeve. <laughs> as a non-American, as a Kenyan woman, what unique dating challenges do you believe that you faced? I'm very curious about that. And has your distance from American Black culture isolated you in any way? Oh, okay. I'll I'll answer those as the two separate questions. Okay. Okay. Um, unique dating challenges. I would say social culture has been the more blaring thing. Um, so dating in Kenya is a very male driven experience, if you will. Men are expected to take the lead in pursuing women, while women are actually expected to be more passive. Men are not at all shy about this. Um, <laughs> to help explain, I think I should paint a picture of my experience, my recent experience when I went home a few months back. Um, and I'm assuming here, but I think something a lot of us can relate to is the HBCU financial aid office experience. <laughs> I'm already done with you, Lori. <laughs> you know, the patience that you need, how you deserve <laughs> out the entire day, because you know, you know, you know what you're about to deal with. Now take that and multiply it. That is the Kenyan government office on any day of the week. Wait now, what am I multiplying it by? I think to be modest, we'll say 10. So just that essentially for the most part, you know, going to the HBC office, you know, you plan the day, going to a Kenyan government office, you plan a week because mm. there's a good chance you're going to have to go back over and over. So it, it's, but there is patience and there is love. <laughs> That's the Kenyan government office. And I needed to go get some documents taken care of. And a man there spotted me and he expressed interest in me and offered to personally ensure that my documents were expedited. So, I mean, when I say personally, he invited me into his office to have a seat um, instead of waiting in the lobby. He offered me tea. Um, he sent his assistant to deliver the documents. He called in personal favors. Like I felt like a princess. But a process that would normally take about two months to get handled at best. I had to start in Kenya, but I knew I might need to continue it in D.C. I was prepared for two months at best. Um, it was completed in a week. That's what I mean by the male pursuit there is it's mm -hmm. very in your face. You don't have any question about if a man is interested. You know it. And so with that, I... I still haven't experienced that level of boldness, I guess, with men in America. And I get it. I don't fault them in today's society. American men have to be careful about how they interact with women. And with that, just a girl that passively waited on men now has to be intentional about inviting interest. That's been different for me. Um, and I'm sure... Black American women also have that, but it was quite a mind shift for me. And then another factor was simply just assimilating to a different societal structure. So 
what I've seen growing up is friends of friends of friends or family somehow cross paths and find relational interest. And the reasons to gather are plenty. Like if we're talking a uh, blankets and wine type of experience, um, Joyce, help me here. It's like, you know, a concert setting where you come and listen to other artists. Yeah, and- like jazz in the park, or sometimes we call it a Wednesday wind down. Yes. <laughs> um, so there's those, which we have here as well. But then there's multiple opportunities where just within social groups, people gather a lot more often. Um, and so those seven degrees of separation feel a little less separate for me and Kenya. But since moving to the U.S., I've experienced American culture as more of social islands. Um, Everyone is involved in the hustle and bustle of everyday life. And occasionally do we, and me included when I say we, um, do we make time to slow down and be the social beings that we are? Um, I found that, you know, to meet people, we have to be intentional about going outside. Right. But even with that, I'm that girl that will start up a conversation with someone in the line and I will dance salsa with a stranger. <laughs> like, even then, sometimes outside can be lonely because mm. it does that, that ability to connect is not the same. So for me, that's made dating harder. Oh, Lori. Okay, so there is more, there is more posture from the men with expressing their interests and their intentions. And then you're just saying overall, there's more of a collective or communal society in Kenya that makes having social experiences feel more like you belong, more intimate, where even though you can create that and be intentional by quote unquote, going outside in America, you could still find yourself feeling isolated or feeling lonely. In other words, I don't know, I don't feel like I belong, or I don't feel like that intimacy or that connectedness. I don't know what the stats of the men look like in Kenya, but I know in America between men like historically just being predatory, right? So women are on edge, Um, like with, what are you doing? What does that mean? What are your intentions, you know, type thing. And I think men have to be sensitive to that. Like, no, I'm a good guy, right? I come in peace. The Me Too movement has made it be, oh my gosh, men need to have a woman in a pills helmet going off before they can go, oh, She wants me to pursue her. She's actually interested and is telling me it is okay. I do think that women have to bear a little bit of responsibility with the way we have decided to those degrees of separation away from men. It's we we did not separate bad men from interested or quote unquote good men in every single movement or outcry. I think sometimes all men just got the tough end of the stick. And so now they don't know what to do, girl. They're like, what do you want me to, should I ask you for your number? Can I just walk up to you? Are you gonna be weird? Or are you gonna think I'm trying to hurt you? 
as far as just dating in general, um, and I have an affinity toward black men, there's, you know, so dating just in general has been tougher. Okay. Um, I would say I definitely feel a level of distance. Now, thankfully, I went to Tuskegee, so it opened my eyes, my mind, my heart to American Black culture. So I have more of a beat there, and I definitely felt welcomed. I mean, these were my classmates. These were my family mm-hmm. for four years. So it, I don't feel so far removed. But there's oftentimes where I feel like in as much as I am a part of black culture, uh, black community, there's often situations where I feel apart from it. This reminds me, do you remember we were in one coaching session and I said to you, oh my gosh, you remind me of Robin on Waiting to Exhale. And you looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> and girl, this comes up every, like in every dating scenario with a black man. I want to say by date number two they bring up a movie and I'm looking at them like, what movie y'all? <laughs> I have had my black card revoked so many times. That, I mean, that was the first lesson that I had working with you. <laughs> <laughs> how much I, you're like Robin and how much I don't want you to be like a lot of this. <laughs> yes, um, because I'd given you that example of um, my black male colleague Mm -hmm. I've been unloading his woes and once again because it's not in my face I didn't know if I should perceive this as interest I I didn't I didn't know um and so you told me to watch the movie (laughs) (laughs) um and come back to you with which character I felt mirrored me best which was Robin (laughs) um and girl I didn't realize how much I was the pump and dump girl and that was that was a knee-jerk reaction for me because I realized how much hmm, I was present for men um, as an emotional safe space where they poured their woes poured their heart toward um just what they're experiencing and I I mean it takes my emotional energy as well you call it emotional currency and I meet them where they're at and give them essentially my spirit right mm-hmm. to help carry them through the emotional woes and whatever it is that they're going through essentially a space to heal for the time when they do need that healing um and then they dip and and dump girl pump and dump they're like wait hold up so from your coaching i grew to understand that if i allow a man to pour sorry if i allow myself to pour enough into a man i will grow emotionally attached And oftentimes it's without substance from them. And that was my like mind, like open, whatever that word is, mind blown moment of the epiphany. Yes, that's the word. Yes. Of you're the pump and dump girl. Mm -hmm. And that's not okay. (laughs) No. And you, you said 
men see me as the emotional safe space. And I'm going to challenge that just a little bit, only because I want to make sure that we're using words like safety, where it is happening in a mutual space. So it was more like you were the emotional hospital Mm -hmm. and men came to you to get their healing. Mm -hmm. You know, you played nurse, but then when you had needs. Crickets. Right. And that's not safe. No, not safe for you. But yeah, that was, I definitely saw Robin in you. And while she does have some admirable traits, I wanted you to watch and to see if you could see yourself. Cause I literally said, I'm not going to tell you what I see. I'm just going to tell you that I see Robin in you, but I want you to watch the movie. Tell me which character best resonates with you. And you tell me why. Now I knew you would probably land on Robin because the other three are not like you at all, but I didn't know what you would pull out of that. And when you came back to session, I was like, oh, she really saw herself. <laughs> you have so much to say. <laughs> but it took, I love giving movie assignments because it allows you to see yourself outside of yourself, right? And then you can decide, oh, do I like that? How do I want to be different? How can I be different? Um, what about what I saw in this woman do I reject? And am I perpetuating ways that I would reject if I were judging others, but haven't quite seen it on me? I think that really flowed into also assessing men because I realized that there was a gentleman um, that I had actually met from school. And so at least I had that kind of social circle there. Mm -hmm. Um. But I had spent a lot of my emotional currency on him. I mean, I'm talking two plus years. Um, Former emotional nurse. <laughs> hey, I'm good at my job. I guess that's why I'm a doctor. <laughs> but I'm I, I'm done. I'm done. We're we're drawing lines. We're creating boundaries. Amen. Um, but you know, he was a man in his building phase so I was understanding of the time that he needed um I was understanding of the weights that he was bearing I was understanding like it was constantly I was understanding mm -hmm. and I sat in giving him my wisdom um, in different scenarios that he was going through, including, you know, are we talking business acquisition? Are we talking career moves? You know, being that sounding board, um, I gave him my intuition into negotiations that he would have with people or conversations just in general. I'm like, mm, are you sure I hear this? And just pouring so much time into him that I felt connected to him. Mm -hmm. I mean, two years of this, I felt connected to him. And maybe I even dare to say I loved him. Mm. I never actually said those words to him. Mm -hmm. But there was, there was enough emotion poured out, so much investment poured out that it was love. Love Bugs, Lori and I are going to take a pause right here for a quick break, but we'll be back in a bit to finish this story. See you soon.
while there is an element of just doing things out of the goodness of your heart, and I think that should remain that way, there is also a level of expectation when so much is given that there is either some benefit to you in it or some exchange back to you from it, right? And so you're helping people with career moves and bossing up and leveling up and processing emotions and just all of these things. And there's no benefit that is gonna come to you as it relates to that person directly advancing or processing, being good in their right mind directly by way of your pouring. And <laughs> when I sit back and look at it in hindsight, it's it's sad and comical at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I think about it, in the two years, we went on maybe two dates. Because, girl, you won't date in. You were bonding. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to pour and he wanted to be poured into. And that exchange worked until you realize the cost of the pouring and paired with realizing, and I'm not getting any of it back. Mm -hmm. The person isn't even available or interested or both. Mm. Yeah. So I, when I saw that in you, I was like, okay, Lori, so we're going to have a different conversation because I need him to value you for more than just his ability to receive and if that's not gonna happen, we gon' we gonna have to part, Mister. I forget his name. What do we What do we yeah. <laughs> Mister B. Mister B. All right. So speaking of of culture, I can't help but to think of family, and I know at well at this point, I assume that most Black women who work with me either have a mother wound or daddy issues or both. Of course, I wait for y'all to reveal it to me, but it's usually there somewhere. Not every single one, but it's it's common. So from the point of view sharing it in coaching to the day that you shared your visualization board, which were months in between, right? There was an acceptance of your relationship with your mother. And I didn't catch it fully until you shared your visualization board. And so I believe in your inner girl letter, you even called her a friend. And I was like, oh, Lori has grown up, grown up. Um, So can you just share with us the concept of a mother wound as you understand it and how it manifested in your relationship with your mom? I don't know if this is the actual definition of it, but this is how I view it. Um. I guess I'll use a medical analogy um, to paint a picture. <laughs> long as you teach us. So I will. I will. It's simple. It's simple. Um, you know, a wound on your arm, right? Uh, that you constantly pick at and you never give it a chance to heal. Every time a scab tries to form, you aggravate it more. And so eventually a wound that could heal now becomes a non-healing wound and it's it's ugly you don't like it and so instead of treating it you wrap it and now it's hidden you wear your long sleeve shirt or just something to cover up and make it seem like it's not there yeah 
that like unhealing wound. Is that a thing in medicine? There is. Wow. Now, of course, it can happen for different reasons. Um, the more common thing that a lot of people will experience is like, you know, diabetes. They tend to have non non-healing wounds, and that's just because of other things that are a factor toward why that wound won't heal. But truthfully, like if you had a mosquito bite and you just picked at it and picked at it and picked at it, what would heal if you just let it be and gave it time, you put some cortisone cream or whatever, mm -hmm. instead you picked at it, you can create a wound there. And if you never actually address it, we're dealing with other issues. Lori, you have blown my mind and that is not easy to do, ma'am. Because of course, we talk about wounds all the time, psychological, emotional, spiritual wounds. And of course, I understand that they hurt and that they need repair and healing. But I just never thought about in the, in the world of medicine, I never thought about the idea of a non-healing wound to be able to correlate it to the work that I do, the emotionality and psychology of relationships and mainly black women and, and black couples, but wow. And then you just happened to mention diabetes. My father had diabetes. And immediately when you said that, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what a non-healing wound is, but I, I needed that example and all that language to make the connection. I want you to finish your thought, but I think you ought to tell me, okay, something about your mama and non-healing wounds. I need to gather myself. Cause wow. Go ahead, girl. For me, my relationship with my mom was a pain point. Mm. Um, and instead of healing it, either because my immaturity at the time to view her for her or whatever the case was, I developed dysfunctional coping mechanisms. The sleeve that I would put over the wound instead of addressing it um but I've always known I've known that me and my mom didn't have a functional relationship and I'd accepted it I mean I, I put the shirt over it I'm, I was good I right. accept we're good no one's gonna know we're good but you were coaching us on universal desires and family was <laughs> the family was so mismatched um family as a present concept of a universal desire ranked low um and it really translated from my lack of a connection with my mom and then you mentioned father wound or father father something daddy issues uh, daddy issues yes um my dad isn't in the picture so mm -hmm. my only parent is my mother who i have a dysfunctional relationship with you know so that sense of family was low but family as a future concept ranked high like I want my man to have a good relationship with his mama mm -hmm. I want to have a good relationship with his mama mm -hmm. I want to be a good mother to my children I want to have a relationship with them it's it just it, it didn't match it had me looking like a big old Barney let me give the audience some language because they don't know what you mean when you say rank low <laughs> All right, so this is an exercise inside of the course. It's proprietary, so I'm not going to get into all of the details. But there is um, 
an exercise in universal desires. One of the tasks that my clients have is to give order to the set of universal desires the way that they currently view it, like in their own worldview. And then I have them contend with how is this going to look in this future relationship or in this current relationship, if they're already in one, that you desire most of them to turn into marriage and have their own nuclear family within it. And one of the reasons that I do the exercise is so that people can see the gaps and the distance. And so people can also see um, the ordering. What is the priority of these desires for you, right? And then we have another conversation about what events could have, what events could take place for them to shift. And so for Lori, she's like, oh, well, the family I came from, girl, that's all the way low. But the family that I want to create was high. And for me, that always signals some work that we need to do because we're over-identifying, maybe even over-imagining with the family that doesn't exist. So it's natural for us to think that it's going to be better than the one that we came from and that we're going to be so much smarter or better or whatever it is that you want than, than our own parents, right? And for Lori, than our own mother. And it's like, well, actually, sis, if you don't deal with the family you came from and were born into, the level, the degree by which you would perpetuate the exact things that you don't want to be will be at an all-time high. So thankfully, Lori does not have any children, so we didn't have to do that work while doing that work, if you will. She had the opportunity to just be a daughter, just be a child, and figure out how she wanted to relate, repair, reconnect, um, with her mom. And that just, ugh, it makes me so happy because I don't, I think people really take for granted how much romantic relationship and family bleeds into the, the family and the structure that you came from and were born into. It's so interwoven. And to think that it's going to be two separate events or two separate pieces of yourself. Well, first of all, it's not true, but how much of a disservice you bring to your own marriage and your own children when they come to be with that type of thought. I started, I started considering my mother who had me when she was 22. Joyce, I'm 32. And I, when I look at it now, if I was 22 in her shoes, raising a child by herself, I see her pain, but I hadn't seen it before. Um, she had the weight of everyone's opinions, including her mother. Mm. Heard be ugly to her. And so it wasn't in me hearing and seeing her or the woman that she is, not as my mother. Mm -hmm. but as she is it softened my heart it did and that said I still didn't forget little Lori I still held space Ooh, for her right um I held space for the dysfunctional coping mechanisms she created to deal with the, suff the suffocation of 
her mom's societal fears. I mean, it, when I say dysfunctional, like a huge motivating factor for me coming to the U.S. was to be as far away from her as I could. Lori. Like, uh, there were other reasons. There were other reasons. <laughs> it was a big factor, especially for, because I've been trying since like 14. I was like, can I leave? Can I leave? Can I leave? 18, I finally could leave. I was like, goodbye. <laughs> it, but it was just, my relationship with my mother was, it wasn't healthy. It was a constant gripe between us. But I still desired a mother-daughter relationship. Of course. I envied friends who had functional relationships. Like when you talk about how well you're mothered and your Marie-isms, you know, <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, isn't that beautiful? I would have loved to have that. And so much so I would embrace any of my friends' moms that saw me as their daughter and loved on me as such. Like, I'll call them my mama. Like, my best friend's mom, she's mama. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk to her about anything and everything. But the revelation of what we'd worked on as far as universal desires, I had to sit with that. And so I planned a trip to go home. And I set an intention to spend more time with my mom. And tell us when, tell us when this is. So we have an appreciation for your time. I went home January, 2023. I wanted to mend my relationship with my mom and in, in whatever capacity, I was okay with whatever capacity it came as, even if it wasn't the greatest, I, I wanted at least to start a bridge. Mm -hmm. Um, I prayed a lot. <laughs> A lot. Um, but, you know, with the intention of just sitting and just being present with her and spending time with her and seeing her for her. Um, towards the end of the trip, one night she was getting ready for bed and I walked up to her and hugged her. And me being me, my little soft heart, um, I started crying. Well, not fully crying. I teared up. Mm -hmm. um, even before I could say anything. And, you know, we sat on the bed and I laid out the hurt over the years mm. and the distance that had been created. Um, and she wrecked me emotionally. <laughs> she said she was afraid to lose me, but in doing so, she realized she was losing me. Mm. So... <laughs> Deep breath. Yeah, breathe on it. You're trying to rush that too quickly. At the beginning of the year, you have us do a release, keep, create list. Mm -hmm. And from that, create intention um, for the year. And of course, that changes and evolves as the year goes through mm -hmm. but one that I put on there was my mother mm -hmm. and trying to be intentional about that bridge um mm. <laughs> oh, so what our relationship looks like now is every Tuesday we get on whatsapp and we talk for hours 
um, it she is nine hours ahead. So it's morning for me and it's night for her. And so and it, but it's my day off. So we have enough time for each other. And we also chat intermittently throughout the week, whether it's text message or just mini phone calls. But Tuesday is our day to chat. And um, it's gotten to the point that I now consider her a friend. When I found out that my dog's cancer had progressed, she's the first person I called. Mm, Lori, listen, this was supposed to be an interview, not a coaching session. You got us both eyes wet. <laughs> I told y'all, Lori does not have that fierce masculine bone. Do you see why I think she's a soft <laughs> Kenyan flower? Because this is what I see month to month. <laughs> Take your time. Ah, but yes, all in all, something that at the beginning of my interaction with you was, how do I become this woman, da, 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 <laughs> um, one became a huge self-coaching um, and self-realization and recognizing that the woman I am is also in response to the woman that raised me. So I think it's super important for us to not just see ourselves as Lori or Joyce, even though we are those women, but to also see ourselves as Eva's daughter or Marie's daughter, right? And a part of your womanhood experience has to be connecting those if for whatever reason it wasn't already on a continuum right and I know you you want to be married you want to be a mom you girl you cry when kittens and doggies have something happens to them <laughs> you gave me a heart for animals that I did not have before meeting you and I always give you uh, that credit so you do not want to get married you do not want to have a baby, especially if that baby is a daughter without your mama. And I think that's so important when it comes to relationship coaching, dating coaching. I'm not just fixated on, girl, we got to get you this man. No, we do got to do that. But there's so much other work um, to be done so that that is a pleasant experience and that you have health and quality and strength in the relationship. And not for nothing, everything can't be about men. Even, even when you're dating, even when you're in a relationship, even when you're married, your entire existence, your entire life cannot always be about men. So there has to be other topics that Black women can bring to the conversation that, yes, can include men when that's necessary, um, but it's not completely caught up in that. And so... I love that you allowed me to coach you in that way. I have some clients who were like, yeah, no, we're not touching this mother wound. I'm not either talking to my mother at all, or I'm not talking to her about this. Like, I'm not interested in the emotional labor that would need to be expended to repair or mend. So I really appreciate you for trusting me and for allowing me to coach you there. Because baby girl, that trip was January 23. And when did you do your visualization um, presentation? August? July, August? 
when I heard you reading your letter and you said, me and mom, I love that, me and mom <laughs> are friends. <laughs> I was like, whoa, what a transformation in nine short months. Like January to, I'm going to say September and just even it out. But wow, Lori, like you did that. Thank you. Thank you. I have, um, I have a mother of a client who she would say, sometimes it's frustrating to be in parent-child or mother-daughter relationships with millennial women because they do not always possess the ability to A, see their moms as just women, not their mothers. And you do have to shift that view. And you did that a lot more naturally than most of my clients, for sure. And then um, her and I, when we have these conversations, we say, you know, because millennials have delayed childbirth, not every adult millennial woman is a mother where she can naturally understand and so sometimes that's a disconnect. And you didn't even let that be a disconnect. You saw your mom. You were able to run the tape back, a 22-year-old mommy and a 22-year-old Lori, and go, oh, Lord, I probably would have. Okay, yeah, I get it. <laughs> we, we need some repair and some conversations, but I forgive you. <laughs> and so uh, such a heart, such a daughter's heart, and such a heart for your mama to be able to do that. So 2023 progress, mind-blowing. Um, it was impressive to witness just how much you had matured and evolved, not just with your mom, but also just Lori and with men. Girl, the way you have leveled up your game with men is impressive. So you speak the most about clarity in who you are, femininity, which is one of the major takeaways that um, you said you wanted to develop in working with me, and what you like to call healing disconnects. So how do all three of those work together for you um, as your gains from this past year and being a Match Mary Made client? So those three things, clarity in who you are, your femininity, and what you call healing disconnects. Oh, I'll try my best. Uh, <laughs> clarity. I guess, hmm, circling back to how we started this call, you know, I joined because of how am I coming off dominant? How am I giving masculine energy? Like, what do you mean? All this gloriousness? What? <laughs> and just not, I felt out of place with myself. And during the course, you went over masculine and feminine tenets. I recognized the things that I displayed that would be considered masculine tenants and I saw the things that were feminine and I saw how the world may see a lot of my masculine because particularly structure focus discipline you know like I said earlier as a Kenyan kid you had the discipline, the structure, the focus, that that was what you needed to get things going. And, you know, when I sit in my singleness, 
I can't sit here and just be free flowing and say, well, we don't need a job. We don't need to have structure. We don't, <laughs> we don't need to understand how to pay these bills. We don't need to know how to negotiate for a higher salary. We don't, I need that. I need yeah. that. Um, and it is okay. It is but okay. with that, I also understood that in as much as, yes, I'm good at doing it, it's not necessarily natural for me. It takes work. And that's what made me realize that disconnect that even though I bring out that masculine tenet, it is not inherent to me. It is something that I learned and that I have to stand in for the duration that I am in it. Amen. And I step aside and I look at the feminine tenets and I see my wisdom. I see my intuition. I see my visualization and I see how free flowing that is for me, how comfortable that is for me and how true it is to me that, you know, if I let everything go, this is what feels natural. And so understanding that I am feminine. Now there's things that I still need to work out, sure. you know, something that I love when you say is that feminine je ne sais quoi. <laughs> you like my French? <laughs> when you say that, you know, there's still an element of that, you know, walking into a room and men instantly feeling that aura, that's still mm -hmm. something I'm working through and on. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm not feminine right now as I am. And it was healing for me to see that about myself and no longer be frustrated with myself. Ooh, that part. Ooh, Lori, yes. We are dual beings. And I've heard about femininity and masculinity my whole life. But in the past, I would say three to five years, it has made its way to pop culture and all types of other spaces. And it has been topics of conversation that have made like gender war-ish um, energy and vibes. And I'm like, why are we even arguing about this? It's, it's already very clear. It's already what it is. So there's a part of our essence that leans more towards masculine energy. There's a part of our essence that leans more towards feminine energy. And it's supposed to be that way. You you have to get through school. School is a structured experience. It has orders and timelines and deadlines. But you also have to not be so occupied in that that you lose yourself. So you need some spontaneity. You need some freedom. You need some flow. And both of them together gets you out of school okay. <laughs> because you just can't get out of school. What good is a degree if you've lost your right mind or all of your friends? or your sense of self, right? But also if you if you spend too much time there and you don't get the degree, girl, how are you gonna take care of yourself? <laughs> right, like they go together. And so one of the things that I like to teach women is you're a dual being, it's okay to honor both sides. You don't need to demonize your masculine energy or um, overindulge in femininity or act like it's not, they are all together because we like to be guarded and walled up and can't nobody da 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 you know that energy, right? I think there is a wisdom 
Ecclesiastes 3, one of my favorite like Hebrew proverbials, <laughs> we'll say it like that, is there's a time for everything. Like literally it lists everything. So the question isn't if I should be one or the other, because there's a time to be born and a time to die. The question isn't, should I only experience birth or only experience death, right? You're going to experience both. The, the question becomes, do I possess the wisdom to know when? There's a time for war and there's a time for peace. Sometimes there is a time to just hush, be peaceful. And sometimes there's a time to run your mouth on it, girl. Yep, speak up and say something. And so I like to teach women the wisdom piece. Just know when. And maybe sometimes on a first date, when you're looking to be courted, when you're looking to be wooed, <laughs> you, you don't possess all of your structure, order, timeline, deadline skills. Not that you don't have them. They just might not be necessary here, especially not for the type of experience that you want. And definitely not if the man already possesses that and then you get ahead of him. And now he like, what you, what I'm supposed to do now? We both can't do it. <laughs> At the same time in harmony, right? Harmony is the, the yin and the yang, right? The sun and the moon, the man and the woman. More of a reconciliation was actually the feminine, masculine archetypes. That, that settled better for me than what is masculine? What is feminine? You know, because for me, um, I'm a lover girl and a huntress. <laughs> so the huntress you'll see the things that typically would fall under the masculine tendency. Mm -hmm. um and i embrace her she's beautiful she's she's out there she has that energy she has that go-getter to her but then there's also the lover girl side of me and she's she's free she's she wants to be wooed. She wants, and as I'm saying this, I'm holding my hair out. Because <laughs> I love her too. Yeah. Um, but also with understanding the archetypes, it allowed me to give myself grace and forgiveness. Because there's times my lover girl came out to play and she can be a little reckless. <laughs> But I didn't understand why I did the things that I did. I was like, Lori, you have more common sense than this. What are you doing? But now that I understand the sides of me a little bit better, I'm more enlightened on how to move and how to actually protect my lover girl side so that she is satisfied, but she's not reckless. So that has been the clarity portion coming like full circle for me. Beautifully said, beautifully said, sacred sisterhood circle awaits you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a quick but intimate round of prompts. I'll feed you. You'll simply reply with the closest truth in your heart in the moment. Are you ready? What's your favorite word to describe Black women? Strong. What's one affirming quality about Black men that you want them to know? Loved. Mm. What's one of your personal or feminine superpowers? Mm, intuition. 
At Match Mary Mate, we approach life and its events joyfully. Tell us one hard thing that's happened recently that you've joyfully reframed. My dog's cancer. Speak to a younger Black woman in this moment and gift her with one thing you wish you knew or realized 10 years ago. It will be okay. It will work out. Talk to your mom. What's the best advice you've received as a woman? You are enough. We end every episode with thought or heart-provoking questions for your journal. Journaling is simply prayers on paper, and the Most High tends to those too. Dear listener, how do you balance socialization and isolation in your life? How do you perceive your own femininity? Are you mindful of how men receive you? And do you like that picture or that position? Do you have a heart of repair when it comes to mending relationships? It's okay to write about the blessings and the burdens. Pour it out into your journal today. Release yourself, free yourself, and most of all, be yourself. Remember, no woman is better at being you than you. If you're interested in my research interests or projects, or want me to speak about it or my dating and relationship coaching practice at your next event, you can reach me at hello at matchmarymate.com. Do not forget to download your episode 19 guide. If you're already on the Match Mary Mate subs list, it's in your inbox. To join, click the link in the show notes. Our next episode is titled Their New Marriage, where a Match Mary Mate client will talk about her marriage prep and wife school experience. And then her husband will join us to talk shop. If you want to share some topics you'd like to hear on the show, please use the comments feature on this episode or shoot me an email at podcast at matchmarymate.com. Today, I leave you with Lori's favorite Swahili saying, and she's going to bless us with it, translate and explain the meaning. It's, it means, it's kind of backwards, but it means that to find your way, you have to lose your way first. And it's proven true over and over. I mean, learning how to ride a bike, you fall first. Learning how to walk, you fall. Um, in dating, there's enough mistakes I have made. <laughs> um, you know, and even to my mother, we lost our relationship and now we're finding it. Thank you for joining me today and tuning into another episode of the Match Mary Mate Show. Until our next time together, love, light, and relationship. Remember, we grow as we go, and I'll be with you in the next episode. Cheers. Mm-hmm.